One, two, three. Awesome. Let's do a sync clap in three, two, one. Sweet. Then it is to me in three, two, one. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for April 27th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms or applications. You could follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. Just click the red box that says sponsor this podcast, and you could set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Aaron Mike Spears, joined alongside my co-host and friend Case Lowe. And Case, what a week. Just like... This felt like one of those weeks that, like, I know it's the same time as it always been, but, like, the, the passage of time went really slowly, even up through today, in my opinion. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am a little sunburnt. It was 84 degrees in Chicago today, and I took advantage of that. I've lived in the city for four years now. I lived specifically in the south loop of Chicago for three years and had never once visited... I guess what you would call the lakefront by Lake Michigan just hadn't just hadn't done that. I know it's like the most popular thing to do in the city. I had just missed every opportunity I had to go there. Finally ventured out there today and cooked in the sun for a long time. But yeah, it's it's one of those weeks where I think especially in the context of Drangate, we're getting bombarded with news constantly, and you know we're recording this on Tuesday the 27th, and hopefully by the time this comes out, all of the information we have will be up to date, but things are changing at such a rapid rate. It's one of those deals where we're getting a lot of news, but time is also moving very slowly. Yeah, yeah, and it's something where, at least in my opinion— like, like just like related to drinking because I've been dealing with the same weather thing. You, you, I, I restrain myself from making a Cook County pun, by the way. <laughs> oh, you should have. That, that, that just the premise of that popped me. I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm going to do Nate's, Nate's thing of explaining the joke right there. The idea is that <laughs> because Chicago is in Cook County, Illinois. So Cook and Cook. But yeah, it's just a incredibly busy and wild times. And, you know, we kind of version to even more wild over the last week i would so and i would say so but we've got a lot to cover this week because we we, we kind of backdoored into the final week until dead or alive because of reasons that we will be going through in a moment and a whole lot of stuff to talk about this week on open the voice gate this is you, you're looking at your podcast feed and you're like wow did they just like spend two hours talking about the two-part episode where king of the hill went into japan Maybe not this week, because we've <laughs> we've got a lot of stuff, Case. We're going to be talking about the, the big news in terms of the third uh, third or fourth state of emergency that Japan has called and how it affects Dragon Gate in particular. We had two house shows, or, or two televised shows, rather, this week. We had the Kobe Sambo Hall show on the 22nd, and then the start of the Speed Star Final Countdown Higashi Osaka. It is the final Masato Yoshino hometown celebration on the 24th and then we will be previewing as much of the dead or alive card as we have at this moment we have basically everything except undercard filler matches so it's a lot of stuff we've got on the program this week case yeah it's the it's the business end of the card that we have or at least god i hope so i don't 
I don't see how they could make this card any more loaded. I guess we still have some relatively, maybe not big names, but talented names that aren't on this show yet. But we have the title matches, we have the Masaudi Yoshino match, and we have the cage match, and I am floored by how good this card looks, quite frankly, but we will get to that at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, we have a whole lot of stuff in front of us, but we should probably touch on this first up front, because it's kind of the overarching thing that's not only affecting Dragon Gate, but it's affecting Japan on the whole. There was a new state of emergency that was announced by the Japanese Prime Minister. I know his last name, but I do not have his first name right now, and Suga, the person who's coming after Shinzo Abe. They have announced a a new state of emergency that affects the Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and Hyogo prefectures in Japan from now until May 11th. For people who are kind of aware, this does go through Golden Week, and it affects basically no events can be held in front of crowds in Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and Hyogo Prefecture. The Hyogo Prefecture is a big one because Hyogo Prefecture is where Kobe is. And if you're someone that is used to the Dragon Gate schedule and how things were scheduled out in May. This is probably the one, with the exception of going behind closed doors, that has affected the company more. Like the whole Tokyo area state of emergency that had a, that had Corkins end at 8 p.m. sucked. Like, like there's no way to put it about it. It did not necessarily do well with Dragon Gate, but this one, I mean, it, it's a mon. It, this one is a serious one for the company, guys. Well, in the scope of Dragon Gate, it quite literally could not come at a worse time, because Mike and I have been talking on this show for a while now about how, especially if you want the most bang for your buck and you're not a frequent or, I guess, rather consistent Dragon Gate Network subscriber, you were going to get five shows in the first seven days of May, with the Osaka number 2 show on May 1st, the back-to-back Kyoto KBS Hall shows on the 2nd and 3rd, Dead or Alive on the 5th, and a Cork and Hall King of Gate kickoff show on May 7th in Cork and Hall. Now, luckily, as of the time we're recording, and this will be our, our Dead or Alive preview, as next week we'll be back a day later uh, with an instant, sort of an instant reaction to Dead or Alive. We're going to get that out as soon as we can. As of now, Dead or Alive is safe, and that is obviously very good just for a number of reasons. That card is loaded. Uh, You would hate to see that specific audience lose their marquee show for a second year in a row. But this wipes out a ton of shows and a a ton of shows that matter, because even the next week you lose that Kobe Sambo Hall show. So you're eating away at two really big King of Gate shows. Mike can talk more about not even necessarily the global ramifications of it, but just real-world stuff, but I'll take you through the Dragon Gate slant of things real quick, where you obviously lose the Road 2 shows leading up to Dead or Alive. We have the big matches, so it's not that big of a deal, but we do have mystery opponents for the Masaru Yoshino match, and the only time they're going to have a chance to, I, I guess, make a move and do an angle if they want to reveal those mystery participants before the show is going to be on the 29th or on May 4th, on those house shows, because after that, the next show is going to be Dead or Alive on the 5th. And then you lose out on those first two King of Gate shows, May 7th and Cork and Hall, which 
as we've talked about numerous times, was a loaded lineup. The Ben K versus Naruki Doi Final Gate 2019 rematch, another Dragon Kid versus SB Kento match, and Yamato versus Shun Skywalker, which Mike and I have predicted, and we don't know anything, we haven't heard anything, but just given the way Dragon Gate books, and, and we feel like we know their booking patterns quite well, uh, we were kind of penciling that in as maybe that would also be the Kobe World main event for this year, that they were going to kick off Yamato's return to the Dreamgate scene on this show with a victory over Shun Skywalker. That is now out of the question. And then you also lose the Kobe Sambo Hall show on May 9th, which had Coach Minora versus Diamante, KZ versus Susumi Yokosuka, and Hip Hop Kakuta versus Kaito Ishida. Now, those matches, with the exception of how you think KZ might fare on King of Gate, are not going to have tremendous storyline implications, but Hip Hop Kakuta versus Kaito Ishida sounded like a really fun match, and that is now off the table for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and looking at what is announced, and they don't have the full July lineup yet, but this cuts into a lot of the build to both uh, Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021 and Speed Star Final, which are the back-to-back shows in Kobe World Kanin Hall. And I guess, like, the big thing that I'll ask you, Case, is do you think that they have to completely redo what they were playing for King of Gate? Because now, I mean, they have still the doubleheader in Fukuoka on the 15th and 16th. They have the their semi-annual trip to Hokkaido, which has three shows in Sapporo EE1 Arena, or stadium. I, I know I mispronounced that, but that's how it's spelled out in English, so that's how I pronounce it. And then the final in Corkin in June. So you have five more shows that will be making tape, we're assuming, we're assuming because the state of emergency will expire before those Fukuoka shows. But I don't think you can really do a, a, unless they rent out Lapis Hall again and they tape matches that were supposed to happen here. I don't know if you can do King of Gate stuff. I don't think you can go to the round robin now, given the time restraint, unless you're going to push back king of gate going and you want king of gate going until july like like those are like the the, the two scenarios i see is they either going to have to delay king of gate until they're able to actually have it or just tape things in advance or they're gonna have to change what the tournament is in my opinion well in june specifically with the way the schedule is now it's kind of a weird month for dragon gate we talked about how loaded may was but right now on the june schedule you have a cork and hall show on the third a sambo hall show on the fifth and then they're not making TV again as of now unless they add a date there until at the 26th with a second Kobe Sambo Hall show. But that's the month where they're going to Okinawa. They're running Fukuoka, but they're they're not running the televised venue in Fukuoka. They're, they're running a bunch of spot shows all throughout Japan. So it's not, it's not like you could just kind of say, oh, well, we'll just move everything back a month because the dates simply don't add up. So... I, I would be devastated if, for the second year in a row, we were watching empty arena matches in Lapis Hall for King of Gate. I think I was a little bit more positive on those matches than most people were last year. I thought the presentation was not ideal, but it was fine for what it was. It's going to be really hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube to go to an empty arena setting, and especially a Lapis Hall empty arena setting, because I thought Drangate killed it with the two empty arena shows they ran in Kobe Sambo Hall last year, the first of which, March 22nd of last year, that is uh, that full show was up on the Drangate Network YouTube with English commentary for free in full. 
And that was a very fun show because you had the wrestlers sitting in the audience acting as fans. Once they moved to Lapis Hall, again, I thought it was fine. There are, are promotions that struggled far more in an empty arena setting than Drangate did. But it was King of Gate, and, and King of Gate really matters in this promotion. It just signifies the time of the year and the intensity as it ramps up to Kobe World. And I think it would really suck if we were watching KZ versus Susumu Yokosuka in Lapis Hall instead of, you know, a month later in Corken Hall or even, uh, you know, a half-capacity Sambo Hall, whatever it is. So I I have no answer, and I don't really have speculation as to what they're going to do. It would be really fun, and I think it would fit the character and the spirit of Dragon Gate if they just completely threw out the format and the matches that were announced are wiped from the slate and they do something else, something fresh, something they've never done before because they've been dealt a really bad hand, and I would like to see them make the most of that, even if it's just, and this is pure speculation, but a one-night tournament in Cork and Hall on the third, or something like that. I think that would be a lot of fun, but we'll have to see, because I have no feel for the direction they're going. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to predict with the situation here, and whereas the last day of emergency really did not hurt Dragon Gate as much as it would hurt your Tokyo-based promotions, this one, I mean... This is one that's going right towards Kansai. And for people who don't know, Dragon Gate's a Kansai promotion. Kansai is what's considered the Western region of Japan. It consists of Hyogo, Kyoto, and Osaka, and that's the company's bread and butter. So it, it's a really rough situation. And without me getting too uh, nihilist here. No, okay. uh, well, yeah, say what you need to oh, say. Oh, did you? Did, did, okay. And I've said this before in other places, so I'll just get it out in the open here. Um, Japan is both fortunate and unfortunate about what's been happening with their treatment of COVID-19. They've been very fortunate that it is a country that is used to wearing masks because of other epidemics that hit East Asia in the late 90s and early 2000s. So there was already ingrained, and and it was not uncommon to watch shows and see someone before COVID wearing a mask in a crowd. Like, that was just kind of one of those things here. No, quite because frankly, as a dumb American, it was almost fun to go like, oh, it's mask season in Japan. You start seeing more of that in all of the venues, and, and, and I did not right. think it would rock my life the way it has. But, I mean, if you take that out of there, the, 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 the way that Japan is as a society and as a government, not this, I mean, they've been very lucky that that like the transmission rates because of mask acceptance have been so low because talking to people like I now know more expats who have either left Japan or in the process of leaving Japan because of just COVID than I know that are staying in Japan. Like it's just one of those situations. And if you're someone who's looking to go to Japan in the future, I know that America kind of is at a place right now where people are now considering like international travel. I know in Europe they're talking about making like some sort of a passport for Americans who want to go visit the EU because of vaccination. Japan has only 1% of their population vaccinated. And part of that is because Japan, from the way I've had it explained to me, and I might be wrong, so please, if I'm wrong, correct me here. This is the one time that I openly ask people to get in my mentions in GMT if my understanding <laughs> this is wrong. But there is a law or regulation that vaccines in Japan, if you're going to administer like a COVID vaccine in Japan, you can't ship it. It has to be manufactured within Japan. And there's only 
one formulation that currently has the approval of the Japanese government, and it is the Pfizer one. Like, it's only one of them that's there, but the approval happened so late there that it took so long for them to kind of get this thing going. And it's also a, it's also a country that's had issues with the vaccine trust because there was a vaccination, there were several vaccination scandals. One was with the MMR shot, that there was like a massive class action lawsuit, and then one with the human papilloma virus, HPV uh, vaccination. So there's just overall, it's not a very good situation. And for someone that's like thinking, oh, when are things are going to get better in Japan? Like when, when it, like as America is kind of opening back up in a way, and it's actually like now countdown into herd immunity, I guess. Don't expect that anytime soon in Japan. It's just, it's just kind of uniquely set up for this situation to kind of be prolonged. Like, I'm still surprised that the Olympics are happening later this fall. Like, and that's why a lot of people think that this is this current shutdown is happening is because there's going to be people from the IOC in Japan and they want to have like a good impression. I am continuously fascinated by just 2020 as a year and everything that went on and one of my favorite things is that the olympics were postponed and i don't feel like it was that big of a story it was just a blip on the radar the olympics aren't happening this year and everyone moved on with their life because there was other shit to worry about and that consistently blows my mind i sit and think about that all the time and and i hope the olympics happen this year i hope japan can recover I would love oh, absolutely. to I, I would love to hear voices at a wrestling show in 2021, but we will see if that happens. Yeah, yeah. So real unfortunate situation. It's still a moving topic, so we'll see how things kind of change as we move along. And I mean, kind of affected this last week of shows pre Dead or Alive because as Naruki Doi aptly put it during the Hagashi Osaka show, if they did this show one day later, they would not have been able to run because the state of emergency hit Osaka Prefecture on the 25th. And it just kind of was one of those things that, like, I, I don't remember when exactly the state of emergency was announced. It was announced on 23rd, so it was after the Kobe Sanbo Hall show. But it just was, like, something that I feel, felt like that, at least watching back through these shows, like, there was kind of, like, an air of, like, okay, this is going to be the last time for these kind of shows for a little bit. Did you, did you have that feeling about these shows as well? Well, it impacted me on, like, a personal level because I did not watch the Sambo Hall show live, but as we talked about last week, I was really excited for this Sambo Hall show because from this venue, and this, this is the show that happened on the 22nd, on paper, it was the most loaded Kobe Sambo Hall show, especially a non-King of Gate Sambo Hall show, that I can remember. I mean, this was a big lineup with title matches and all this other stuff going on. It just, it felt like a big deal. I was going to watch it live the next day, or I, I just, just watch it the next day, and the next day is when all of the news broke that we were going into another state of emergency, and it was devastating, because for me, this was going to be the ramp-up show. You had this, the Masato Yoshino homecoming show, and then Hell Week in May, and I was like, well, here, you know, we're going to hit the ground, and we're going to be off, and we're going to get Dead or Alive and King of Gate, and Drangate is going to be back in the forefront of people's minds, hopefully. And then I, I waited the day to watch the show, and then it was like, oh, God, all of those shows got canceled, and it just... It just sucks so much, but the good news is, especially this Kobe Sambo Hall show, there was a lot to like on this show. Yeah, and I would say that maybe like my my star ratings are a little bit lower than the rest, but I can't remember of a Kobe Sambo Hall show that felt so alive, and we'll get into reasons why I felt alive, but it just was such a pleasant show to watch, and it just was a 
great two and a two hour fifteen minute show and just very surprising, I would say. With like the stuff that I was expecting to kind of be a little bit underwhelming completely kind of took me aback. And, you know, we had a lot of surprises on the show and, you know, it provided a very interesting stop. Like this one felt like the true go home for Dead All Air Live. Like I, I know they had those Kyoto shows that were supposed to be coming up this weekend, but this felt like the proper go home for Dead or Alive to me. Yeah, this is one of those shows that, for whatever reason, is going to have a prolonged effect on me. Uh, I think about, from the same venue five years ago, the May 22nd, 2016 King of Gate show, which it was so impactful that five years later, I know the date off the top of my head, which, yes, it is some form of a mental illness, and we're working on what that exact diagnosis is that I... <laughs> Uh, pertain Kobe Samba Hall information oh. the way that I do. <laughs> I, 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 you're in good company here with like knowing just unnecessary things and realizing like this is what part of my life has been devoted to. This is what my brain is like knows instead of like knowing how to ride a bicycle. I know exactly. Like, like, hey, twelve one twenty sixteen. What was the big thing about that show? That was the five versus five rookies versus legends match. It's one of those matches that we know by date because I remember I was listening to Rob Naylor on a podcast once. And he just did – it was almost like a swagger walk of wrestling knowledge where he was like 120-97, some like some other match, like 7-17-11, maybe it was Punk Cena. It was just like those are the matches you know by the date, and you know that's when it's an all-time great match. I was like, god damn, that – like sounded cruel almost and it's Rob Naylor on a wrestling podcast um but 522.16 was that King of Gate show it was Shimizu versus Doi Don Fuji versus Shingo Dragon Kid versus Mochizuki and Tozawa versus Susumu and that was a show at the time that people were raving about and I have one of those I had one of those this past year the August 9th Edeon Arena Osaka number two show which had Yoshino and Doi versus Jason Lee and Punch Tamanaga and then it had that great main event of R.E.D. versus Team Dragon Gate where we really saw the coming out party of Coach Minora and we realized like, oh, oh, this guy is for real, for real. And that was just one of those fun shows. And I think this Kobe Sambo Hall show, forget the state of the emergency, which will obviously leave some sort of impression on our mind. But just, you know, the fact that we had, what, three returns on this show? Yeah, this show, with the exception of like the long term interview. Uh, injuries completely cleared the Dragon Gate injured list. Like, case we don't have to do an injured list <laughs> yeah. report anymore because there is because it, it, it's all long term stuff, or we don't know because we haven't heard anything. Yeah, because... or just like question mark, question mark, question mark. In the case of Strong Machine J, because that man has been under repairs for for quite some time now. But you had three returns, you had a title match, and you had a super entertaining main event. And we were talking last week about the Royal Sambo Battle Royal and how. You know, I think they have their place. They don't annoy me, but I'm not excited about them after they ended the Ichikawa storyline. And the Battle Royal here got press in Japan. Like, there were there were uh, websites in Japan writing about this Battle Royal and the finish to it. And it's just like, my God, like, this was just a fun show that for a pandemic crowd I thought had good energy. And so very rarely on a show where we have so much to get to are we going to sit down and talk about every match on a Kobe Samba Hall show – but I kind of think we have to. Yeah, we kind of do. So let's get into it. It was on the 22nd. Attendance was slightly down, 302 versus 306. So still a very strong showing here. And it will be up on the network until the 29th. So this show will, be, will drop on tomorrow on the Wednesday, on Wednesday. So you'll, you'll have 24 hours. Watch the show. Look, like, like, 
carve out the time. This is a show that, at the very least, you'll come away with going like, all right, I am hyped for Dead or Alive. Like, this should be required viewing all the entire show. Started off with match one, Natural Vibes versus REG, the Takedo Kame comeback match. It was KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and the former Takedo Kame versus BB Hulk, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Hyo. The fall was KZ over Hyo with the running elbow match, and Takedo Kame is no more. Now in his place is Funky Jack Kame, the master of the Pow Pow, and Buddy. Hey, you know how how much of a Kame fan I am to begin with, and K is gonna just say I love this new gimmick for him. It is perfect. I think it's great. I was really concerned that we were going to get a name in the same vein as an L. Lindemann, something that we've gotten used to, but we don't necessarily like. And while I will probably not be calling him by his full name of Funky Jackie Kamei, I think I'm going to stick to Jackie Kamei for the most part, I have no issue with this name. I think it's fun. I think you have to, tr- at this point, especially with the second incarnation of this unit, without Punch Tabanaga and without Brother Yashi, I think you have to actively try to not be into natural vibes, and I think Kamei is a perfect fit in this group. We saw it here. This this is a win. This is a total win, and I'm really excited to see where they go from here. This feels like a unit, and again, we thought at first oh, this natural vibes thing is a ruse, maybe KZ is going heal. There's no way they're just revamping this unit. And then we were like, oh, it's it's real. This is kind of a bummer. And we have been proven so wrong. At least I have. I don't want to speak for you, but I love what this unit is doing right now because it's kind of, it's weird. We have two really strong work rate units between natural vibes and masquerade. And I think you can make the argument that maybe Drangate should want a little bit more star power coming out of those units because I don't really have a read on on where KZ is at with the native fans in terms of his star power and if he is a guy as in a uh, you know tier below Yamato Yoshino Doi type guy I look at him that way but I don't know if the native fans do but I do know that natural vibes is really over with me and I think the unit the aesthetic the entire thing is a huge home run right now yeah and funky Jackie Kamei basically he comes out he he doesn't he kind of remind you a little bit of like KZ Sito in a way, but not in a way that's going to be restrictive of him, but it's like, oh yeah, he's just kind of just being this very excitable, loudmouth guy and overalls and with highlights in his hair. And I think that it works great with them. I think like natural vibes, like the idea about the work rate units, uh, Susumu and Ginky have their very devoted fans. That, that's true. That's that's probably I probably slighted it, it by trying to give them a compliment. I probably slighted Natural Vibes more than I meant to. Yeah. So I think that Natural Vibes is in a good place. Masquerade. I'm going to have. I it, I've been saying this now since December. My issues with Masquerade, and there's no way of it clearing up in the near future. But I think Natural Vibes. I mean. Coming out of this weekend, my big thing is, can we get a 10-man tag, Natural Vibes versus Masquerade? Because that is, the the like, we've been talking about Masquerade versus R.E.D. and then high-end versus R.E.D. Give me Masquerade versus Natural Vibes. Like, like that's, that's a 10-man tag that I think will be fascinating. Court Bauer, if you're listening, I will chip in for the plane tickets. Run that 10-man in Chicago, please, and thank you. <laughs> But getting to the match itself, like it's something how much Kamei just flowed in with like the with like his seniors and KZ and Susumu. And then, you know, this was really a match that was featured around natural vibes, in my opinion. Hulk and, and Kazma were there. They were 
they were solid. But like my big takeaway was like Casey and Hio started doing the rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin spots. <laughs> well, well, no, it was Sackham. Kazma did the people's elbow. And then right after that, Casey did a Stone Cold Stunner. Yeah. And Ka- that cracked Kazma and Casey have awesome chemistry. That is a singles match that I, I think has happened at some point. It might have happened two years ago in King of Gate. It- it, it yes, it, we've again. talked about this case. We've talked about this because I remembered this one. It, it was at Kobe Sambo Hall. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it headlined. We talked about it last week. It headlined that Sambo Hall show. Uh, th- those two have awesome chemistry. Uh, in terms of Kame and kind of his in-ring style, he, he was reminding me a lot of New Hazard era BB Hulk and the way that he flies yeah. around the ring that – He's not reckless, but he is fearless, and I, I I don't think he's afraid to take a big bump. And I, I was I was very impressed with the way he implemented himself into a unit that, without him, with just the four guys that were healthy, felt like a strong put together unit. And Kamei, in my opinion, did not disrupt that chemistry at all. Yeah, and if anything, like talking about like, for lack of a better terms, uh, shouts to Mike Bailey. He's a speedball in the mm-hmm. ring. Like, he kind of bounces off everywhere, and he's fearless. And that's an element that Natural Vibes did not have, which is something that, like, adds a little bit to the flavor. The same way as we get into another return that we're going to talk about very briefly. But it's something where, like, I'm going to be very interested in seeing how his ring style develops now that he has his character. Like, SB Kento, like, completely changed his moveset when he went from Kento Kabune to SB Kento. Hip-Hop Kakuta just added in a whole lot of hip attacks, but is mainly kind of like the same Power Junior. But Kamei, you know, I mean, he's in a very unique situation just because of his size. And in general, like, he has the Torbalino. The Torbalino will be a move of his, which fits in with his style very well. I'm just, I'm interested to see what will be developed around that. I think there's a, there's a lot to work with there. There's a lot to work with, and I don't know if we'll ever get these two as a prolonged full-time tag team. But the following match with their unit mates, Genki Horiguchi and Yuti, as a tag team, my God, their chemistry. Yeah, God, they rock. And so match two was Natural Vibes versus an, a weird unaffiliated tag team. It was Don Fuji and Masquerade's Jason Lee. Jason Lee got the fall on Ginky Horiguchi, the maximum driver, in five minutes and 35 seconds. But Ginky Horiguchi and UT, it works really well, especially because you have someone like Don Fuji that like UT spent like 15 seconds slapping off the, the apron in a way but like the two of them like it, it's a great mix of charisma and it's something that i think that when you like look at units and you look at like natural vibe 2.0 you have so many different pieces that adding in ut and funky jackie kame just completely like gives you more opportunities here like susumu uh kz and kame as a trio rocked and then we got a five minute Ginky Horikuchi and UT match that, you know, I mean, it was a speedrun tag match, but it was a very fun speedrun tag match, in my opinion. I was shocked when I was looking at the results that this only went five minutes because they packed in so much. And I, I went three and a half stars on this match, thinking that it had twice as much time as it did. And watching it, and, and I don't mean this as a dig at obviously anyone specific, but even just the group of people I'm about to reference, but I, I watched this match... And I got kind of bummed out that the same people that pimp and praise, you know, six-minute Fit Finley TV matches or the intricate work that Eddie Kingston does or or very specifically just that style of wrestling and wrestlers are the people that are not going to take time out of their lives to watch Don Fuji because he is exactly 
what they would love. And Fuji was so awesome in this match. You know, uh, Mike and I have talked a lot on the show about the Greatest Wrestler Ever project that we're doing with Alan Forel, and I would recommend keeping your eyes on Pro Wrestling Torch this weekend and, and upcoming next week for a very, very, very big show between Mike, Alan, and I. But I watched this match, and I had to go look at my Greatest Wrestler Ever spreadsheet and go like, oh, man, Don Fuji should probably be on here. I mean, if Don Fuji had this output in 90s All Japan or 90s War, or if he was an American television worker with this output, I think he would be a slam-dunk candidate, but he's in the Dragon system where you have literally 10, 11, 12 other guys where it's like, well, you know, they they kind of just beat his candidacy to some extent. But you watch a match like this and you just remember, I mean, Don Fuji is a master of pro wrestling. And Jason Lee and Genki Horiguchi, to their credit, put on a masterful finishing sequence with Lee kicking out of the backslide from heaven and then immediately going into the maximum driver for the win. I I was in love with this match. I thought it was terrific. And, and the thing is, and we, we talked about this last week, like keep an eye on Jason, keep an eye on Jason. Jason, the way that he penned Genki out of this final, this closing stretch, which was like a speed run tag match, he came off looking like a monster because he like spiked him down did the emphatic pen fall, celebrated, and we immediately had a Triangle Gate challenge for Dead or Alive. Jason challenged Kinki Horiguchi as he is one-third of the champion team with Susumu and KZ. And there was some back and forth about, like, okay, so I guess then it's going to be you, Minora, and La Estrella. And then that was not the case because Dragon Daya made his unannounced return. He is back. He, he has recovered from his collarbone injury and he is a part of the triangle gate challenge team for dead or alive we could talk about this more when we get into the dead or alive preview but i i think we had looked at five or six months for diet's return he got hurt on the last show in december so uh, by my estimation and i'm no medical professional but i think he returned a little bit ahead of schedule and quite frankly i am delighted i i raved about dragon dia all of last year I know in the Fighting Spirit 50 that was released over at VoicesWrestling.com, I said match for match, Daya is the most exciting wrestler in wrestling, which sounds like hyperbole if you think I'm talking about match output, but I was referring to him in a in a creative standpoint where Dragon Daya gets in the ring, and I literally do not know what this man is going to do, but I know he is capable of doing almost anything. And it's something that, like we talked about like the reaction here and like State of Emergency and all this, Kobe Sambo Hall is like the one crowd in Japan that's like, oh, we're just going to go off. And the way they reacted to Dra- Dragon Daya's surprise return took me aback. Like, I did not think that he was this natively popular until the crowd audibly gasped when Dragon Daya's theme played. It was awesome. There was, I, I just, I, I really liked uh, the two large vocal reactions that were on this show. It was just one more thing of like, ah, oh, this is nice. I forgot what people sounded like in a crowd. Yeah, yeah, so that was absolute fun. That was just like a one-two, like just big hitters right there. And then we led right into high-end versus R.E.D. six-man tag team match. Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Benkei of high-end versus Kaido, Ishida, Kai, and S.B. Kento of R.E.D. Yamato won after an accidental uh, a hit from Kai in nine minutes and three seconds on S.B. Kento. And this was the match that I was like, oh, okay, I'm done with the uh, the, the cage build and we had more cage build here so we could pretty much just cut and paste what I've said about about the feud leading the cage match here in my opinion yeah, this the, match. The, the one blessing in the skies about the state of emergency is that we're not going to have to watch three more road to cage matches and that is a huge mm-hmm. win for all of us because you know obviously 
Kai, SB Kento, Drenkin, and Yamato, they typically, I think, steal the spotlight whenever they're on the screen. But for me, this was a Ben K match. I thought this was one where Ben K was able to get his shit in. I thought he looked good. I like the shave head that Ben K is rocking. It's just, I, I like that from show to show, he looked like the same person for a change, which was a nice <laughs> a nice way to rebound after a year of Ben K changing his look on every single show. Thought he looked good here, but I don't have a ton of thoughts on this because it was more of the same from the cage match participants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything else to add into that we won't talk about in the main event preview for Dead or Alive. So let's get into the Royal Sambo 13-man battle royal case. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. This was won by Rio Saito in 20 minutes and 25 seconds. But it is not as simple as saying that Rio Saito won this match. We had a whole lot in the middle here before the winner was decided. Yeah, so rundown participants, it was Saito for Mochizuki for the final fall to win the match. Other participants, Ultimo, Yoshida, Bukudamo, Supershisa, Ichikawa, Sachi, Gamma, Maria, Problem Dragon, Hoho Loon, Diamante, and Diet Inferno. And this was like a... The thing I'll say about these battle royals, where it's like I was very skeptical because I remember the old Dragon Rumbles and how bad they were. This one, like, they, they, they keep on providing new twists to these matches that I find incredibly fascinating. And this was a battle royal with a lot of stages to it. Yeah, the big spot here, which I I loved, quite frankly, was Konomama Ichikawa telling everybody to get out of the ring that he wanted Ultimo Dragon one-on-one. And they did Ichikawa versus Ultimo. And it ended with Starker Ichikawa, or my bad, Konomama Ichikawa, Put Ultimo in a Lamahi Strong Cradle, and then the entire, uh, every participant of this match ran in and helped assist on the cover, and Ichikawa pinned Ultimo in what I thought was a super fun spot, because it, it was a weird match, because it felt like they were doing more comedy than normal mm-hmm. up until the finish, and then they went into like a Dreamgate closing stretch between Mochizuki and Saito. It was It was just a bonkers match. Yeah, and it was something where they went about 10 minutes, these two. And they had an—it was basically big match Rio Saito, and it owned. And getting the clean win out there, especially for stuff that would happen later on in, on the Sambo Hall show, just was a big thing. And, I mean, this was something that I did not see this happening. I was like, oh, all right, that owned. I had a great time with that. And, and I mean, like, even, like, from the start, like, they managed to weave in, like, jokey things, like Ultimo being very furious but that Bakudamo still was wearing <laughs> the garb and wearing the mask out there. Like, that, that was a really funny uh, start for me. And just, like, all throughout, they keep on finding ways to keep these battle royals very interesting. And this one... Other than the one that uh, Konamao Ichikawa won, but because everyone else got eliminated and he was last entrant, this might have been my favorite Royal Sanbo. Yeah, that spot of Ichikawa coming out to an empty ring is my favorite thing I think that's ever happened in my life. But yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. I am a little hesitant going forward. I even big match Saito. I'm not really looking for him to be pushed at this stage in his career. I've talked about on the show numerous times about how his 2017 feud with Shingo Takagi just about made me stop watching Dragon Gate. And that was kind of the last time we saw a serious Saito. And I I just, he was really fun here. He and Mochizuki have always had great chemistry. If you've never seen their 2005 Dreamgate match, 2605, speaking of my mental illness, 
Uh, that is one of the best Dreamgate matches of all time. It's crazy. The finish is, quite frankly, disgusting. Uh, what Mochizuki does to the face of Ryo Saito. I, I just, I'm good. We saw Big Match Saito return in a battle royal, and I hope it stays there and we could all move on in peace. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that this was a perfect blast of it, and, you know, it was a good way to kind of shake up these matches and proving new things that you can do in a battle royal, which makes me interested to see what the next one will be. I mean, they, they pulled something out here that I found very fascinating, so we'll see what they do next time. Then we had an unannounced match, which was Kness and Yuzushi Kanda came out, then Rookie Doi came out solo, and then Speedstar hit, and the crowd became unglued as, for a bonus match, Speed Muscle Doi Yoshi reunited on Masato Yoshino's retirement tour to have an exhibition match with Kness and Yuzushi Kanda that went to a five-minute time limit draw. I would go as far to say the pop when Yoshino's theme hit was not only a loud pop for the clap crowd era because there were vocal reactions, it was just a legitimate loud pop. I mean, it would have, it was just, it was shocking to hear, quite honestly, the way people lost their minds. And then we saw, you know, Masato Yoshino's a guy that's changed his look, changed his persona, has gone through a lot of evolutions in his career. For the first time ever, we got t-shirt Masato Yoshino. Which worried us for a couple of days. A couple of days we're like, hey, uh, Masato Yoshino, you've kind of been like the keystone. We could trust what Masato Yoshino is going to come out with the short tights, with the straps down, wearing the uh, low tops. And we know what we're going to get from him. Came out like uh, Super Shisa in a sleeveless T-shirt. But, you know, great treat. Like what this reminded me of was, and I'm going to, we were talking about dates here. I'm not going to remember the exact date, but when when he made his return in, in 2018 from his devastating neck and back injury. That's the reason why he's retiring in three months. But he, when he came back to Hakata Star Lanes, do you remember like the pop that had happened when Speedstar hit there? Like the, the, there's something that within this company that whenever you hear Speedstar shouted out, the crowd gets amped up. It might be the best theme in the, in the history of the company. And for the person who has been the most popular person in the company, at least for the last decade. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that watching the Homecoming show, because t- typically on these smaller shows, I, unless I have a reason to watch it, I will skip the entrances just to save a little bit of time, but I made sure to watch his entrance on the Homecoming show, and hearing the piano interlude into his theme song, I was kind of really impressed with just how good that song was, and I know a few months ago they released Yoshino's theme song and Doi's theme song on vinyl, and I am now regretting not paying outrageous <laughs> shipping costs to get those in my vinyl collection because those would be fun to have. Those would be cool things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, big match Yoshino. I, I've talked about this in other places. I think I've talked about this with Andrew Rich on Music of the Mat a couple of years ago when I when we did an episode talking about Dragon Gate themes. But the big match theme with the piano intro for the uh, 2015 match they had against uh uh, against Masaki Mochizuki where like the piano came in and then you could see the lights refracting and it's one of those things that like it's an all-time thing for me and hearing it here and hearing the eruption for it for just a match to kind of just get ring rust off and to get the pop from native uh, local fans hometown fans was uh, just a knock out of the park here I would say that Yoshino show you were referencing uh, I'm looking at it now April 23rd 2017 in Hakata the last four matches on this show, El Lindemann and T-Hawk versus Benkei and Big R Shimizu, which is just fascinating. Uh, Yoshino returned and beat Punch Tamanaga in two minutes. Opened the Twin Gate title match, Shima and Dragon Kid over Kness and Kanda. 
and the main event was Hulk and Doi against Cyber Kong and Shingo. I I have a pretty strong recollection. If it made tape from about 2015 onwards, I feel like I can remember at least something about this show. I remember nothing about this show. That is a bizarre looking card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that really tells you how much the company has changed in such a short period of time. You and, know, and for the better because this is around the time in 2017 where we started looking around and going, "Oh man, the the glory period of of 2014 through 2016 it is over." And all of a sudden, we got a lot of Cyber Kong main events that year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then moving on, we have the semi main event. This was the Open the Brave Gate Championship match. This was. Uh, Keisuke Akuda making his fourth successful defense of the Brave Gate against Punch Tomonaga in 13 minutes and 23 seconds. And Case, here's a big question for me to you. Does this make the list? Mike, it is so close to making the list, but I'm not oh. going to put it on there. I went three and three quarters with this match, though, which is a completely unironic and genuine three and three quarters. I thought this match was awesome. It was just the perfect use of Akuda and the perfect use of Tamanaga. And I, I, I don't know I don't know if this is Akuda's peak, so I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about it, but at some point, just the rise of Kaisuke Akuda in this promotion should probably be discussed. That mm-hmm. he came in with a different style a different background compared to the rest of the guys. You know, he was a, a former IGF wrestler, a, you know, IGF fighter, the Anoki group. And then he came into Dragon Gate because he's been Kay's friend. And he's just been awesome for two years now because he came in right after Dead or Alive 2019 and assimilated himself into the promotion really quick. He got lucky with when he came in. Mochizuki Dojo was a thing, and he obviously worked in that group. And now he's a champion and the Brave Gate title around his waist, at least to me, and I don't know how you feel about it, but the Brave Gate title really feels like it has some life right now. And with his upcoming match, the, the match against UT at Dead or Alive, uh, we'll talk about it more when we preview that card, but oh my god, my expectations for that are through the roof because this is a guy that just went out there with Punch Tamanaga for 13 minutes. He beat Tamanaga senseless. I mean, this was such a physical match. And the one thing that I think Punch does incredibly well when he's given the opportunity in a big match or in a meaningless undercard match is this is a guy that can bump really well because quite frankly I'll say it Punch Tamanaga has a weird body this is a man that bends and breaks in ways that most humans do not and Akuda took full advantage of that I thought the middle kick spots where uh, where Tamanaga was on his knees with his hands in his pockets and Akuda would ricochet a kick into his chest and Tamanaga would fall back and then bounce back up and that way that he's done since he's had this gimmick you know since he was given it seven years ago I thought this was a, a giant win I thought this match was just a ton of fun not quite not quite good enough to make the every great punch Tamanaga match ever list but oh Mike it was close yeah, I went three and a half on this, and the thing that got me for this is the way that they've built up a title match that I did not need that ever happened. I did not need to see Okuda versus Punch Tomonaga, but the way they built this up of, like, oh, Punch Tomonaga is actually, like, ac- like acclimating himself to, like, how am I going to be able to beat Keisuke Okuda? Well, I do have this training, so I might as well try it, and it led to a very fascinating match that, like, he had Okuda's better in, like, the first few minutes, and then eventually Keisuke Akuda remembered that he was Mr. Danger Zone, 
and just has proceeded to beat that ass for the remaining part of the match. And, you know, it's it's like a perfect like little story there. And it's probably one of the best uses they've had to punch Tamanaga outside of the 2009 Triangle Gate match. We just talked about um, that show from 2017. And one of the big changes has just been the de-emphasis of Tamanaga for Because as much as we love Shingo Takagi, and this is not a podcast that is going to disparage him, but the Takagi-Tamanaga relationship by the end of it was kind of exhausting. And you saw Punch in these spots that he was in too often and quite frankly had no business being in in the first place. But he's a wrestler. I mean, there's a reason we had fun in August when he had a four-star match because you, you look through some of the matches he's been in and it's like, oh my god, Punch Tobinaga has been in some like historically great Dragon Gate matches because when he pops up in a big spot from time to time, he's a ton of fun to deal with. He is just not someone that needs to be, you know, the sixth man on the bench or the seventh man on the bench. That man needs to be at the end of the bench. And when everybody is down and out, you can call him up and he'll deliver in the spot that he needs to. I, I was really impressed with what he and Akuda were able to do here. Yeah, I mean, he's the person that keeps score on the bench, and then eventually, like, you make sure that, like, during senior day, he gets to go have an at-bat. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. that's what it is. <laughs> and then he, he's not hitting a home run, but he's he's going the opposite way with a pitch. Like, he gets a fastball down and away, and he goes with the pitch, he singles to right field, and you go, oh, good for him. That was really nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's someone that only hits Texas leaguers. Like, like that's it. That's it. <laughs> But that th- this rocks. Like this was exactly what I was hoping for, and this is another reason how this Kobe World or this Kobe Summer Hall show was just very resonating. Because then post match we had Team Bo- Boku finally broke up. We knew it was coming. They finally decided we're done here. So Team Boku is no more. And more importantly, Aichi Native UT came out and challenged KSK Akuda for the Brave Gate at Dead or Alive. I'm I, look. I love UT, and for a lot of years I did not. And I have come around. He's quite honestly one of my favorite wrestlers to watch. I I would, if I was his medical uh, advocate, I would advise against this match because I have seen what Kaisuke Akuda can do to other people, and I have seen UT's body break. Quite honestly, and for as excited as I am about this match, I'm I have like legitimate concerns that UT is once again going to be derailed by injury. I mean, we'll we'll get more into that there, but it's something that I mean. This is like some of the brilliance of Dragon Gate. They're going into Aichi and Nagoya, or going to Nagoya and Aichi, and who's all over the top of the card? It's Aichi natives. Like they, well, like they kept UT in the pocket. They 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 very like sneakily put UT in this way. I'm like, God damn it, mysterious bookers of Dragon Gate, you did it again. Look, Dragon Kid's not going to be around forever, and you need someone to consistently take a loss in a big match at Dead or Alive, and UT is going to fill that role nicely when Dragon Kid hangs up the boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something where it's just, like, it's very charming, and, I mean, we'll, we'll see if the Nagoya native losing streak continues next week. And then we have the main event. This was the latest in the Kagatora trial series. This was Masquerade versus R.E.D. Shun, uh, Kota Minora, and Australia on the Masquerade side. And then the, I guess you would say R.E.D. side, because he was a member of R.E.D. for this, was Eita, Hip Hop Kakuta, and Bridge Book Kagatora. Bridge Book Kagatora won with the Ikitosin on Kota Minora in 9 minutes and 32 seconds. In Kagatora's Dragon Gate career, because I, I don't, 
I don't know what your familiarity is with his El Dorado time period, for example. But is this some? Oh, that... Animal, the Animal Planet. Come on. You see, I, I don't, I don't know a ton of El Dorado, which is like a weird blind spot that I have because it's a lot of like featured Shuji Kondo matches that you think I would have watched by now, but I haven't. Is this the first time we've seen Kagatora work full heel like this? No, he did in Dragon Gate because he was a member of Real Hazard. Yeah, I guess. I don't remember him at all. In, I'm looking at his cage match now. I don't remember him at all in Real Hazard because we would have seen him a little bit in Kamikaze just depending on who they were squaring off mm-hmm. against, but he didn't have an overbearing heel presence. I don't remember him at all in Real Hazard. I would have lost that if this was Joe Gagne's five-star match game. I just have no no recollection of that whatsoever. But I, I bring that up because it, it's obviously an unfamiliar role for him, something he's not really used to. And I thought he was an excellent heel, quite frankly. And I was almost a little disappointed at the end of the match where he, he scored the pinfall for R.E.D. and then told R.E.D. to stick it, basically, and said he's not interested in joining their unit because I kind of think he would fit in really well in this unit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it would provide more life. And he didn't just say stick it. He just pasted Ata <laughs> and walked out, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, no, this was a fun one. Like, this was one of the lower end. R.E.D. versus Masquerade uh, matches. I still went three and three quarters, but it was just a lot of, of really strong Dreamgate buildup. And then Kagatora finished sniping Ada at the end because Ada goes for the Imperial Uno, gets and, and go for a near fall, and then immediately Kagatora comes in, hits the Ikitosin, and wins. And I was just like, Kagatora, for someone that frustrates me so much, you know how to bring life into my life. I ended up going four flat on this because I, I, I not only liked the finish so much as you just described, there were two things here that I really liked. One, I thought it was a really clean performance from La Estrella. I think, you know, he, he sort of disappeared for us at the beginning of the month, and since he's come back, he's he's starting to look a little bit more well-rounded. You know, he's nailing his signature spots, but you look at the in-between stuff, I thought this was a really good performance for him. And then Skywalker and Kakuta continue to kind of knock my socks off with their interactions, and I think they are going to have a really outstanding Dreamgate match at Dead or Alive. So there was a lot to like here. I went four flat. It's in the notebook, and I wish we would see more heel Kagatora, quite frankly. Yep, and that that concludes a very newsworthy uh, Kobe Sambo Hall. Again, it'll be up on the network until the 29th. I say go out of your way to go and view it up. Support for Open the Voice Gaze brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in the men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped provides precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technological developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners, 20% off and free shipping with the promo code OTVG at manscaped.com. In case they hooked us up with the Perfect Package 3.0, and it... It provides anything you need for any sort of body grooming whatsoever. I have been grooming like like crazy, quite frankly. I am in love with a lawnmower 3.0. I think it's easy to use. I think all of the, what I will say, the accessories that we have in the Perfect Package 3.0, like the, clo- the, the crop preserver, which has the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, I think all of that stuff is tremendous. Like I said at the top of the show, it was 84 degrees today in Chicago, and I walked to the lakefront with a female friend of mine, one that we are just friends, and I'm very much okay with that, but one that is, uh, you know, good-looking. And I loved that I had a sense of security, 
and comfort in my mind because I had recently used the Lawnmower 3.0 and all that is included in the Perfect Package 3.0. Yeah, let's listen. Let's lay out here. It's not a dry heat right now, and I, it's something that I'm used to in the South. I'm used to in Miami. I'm especially used to in the mountains in South Carolina, but being able to have something like the, the crop preserver where you just know, like, all right, I'm not just going to have, like, sweaty uh, sweaty grundle. I'm not going to have something that yeah, I'm going to feel uncomfortable about and I'm going to be self-conscious about because I know that the crop preserver is there to protect me and protect my loved ones because they, they don't have to deal with both my anxieties or actually experiencing what I'm fearing. Mike, it's simple. If you use promo code OTVG for 20% off your first order and free shipping at manscaped.com, your balls will thank you. Yes, so get 20% off and free shipping with promo code OTVG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use promo code OTVG. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And it's interesting case how we went from this very newsworthy, this very end of the run, your final go-home show for Dead or Alive, and then two days later in Higashi Osaka, we had the start of the Speed Star countdown speeds, our final countdown in Higashi Osaka, and just two completely night and day shows, both incredibly watchable, but it just feels like that they did everything they needed to do for Dead or Alive at Kobe Sambo Hall, and then when they're in Higashi Osaka, they could start celebrating the career of Masato Yoshino. Yeah, this is one of those shows that under, I guess I w- what I would call normal circumstances, you know, we don't get a lot of these homecoming shows on tape, which I think is disappointing because I think the cards are always fun. And I really wish with the accessibility of the Drangate Network that we would see more of these homecoming shows because really we would only get Shingo's while Shingo was here because... FMW brain Shingo would book some crazy dream matches and we would either get it sometimes in full or sometimes just in Gaiora bumpers in a clipped sort of fashion. But we've been getting the, the Masato Yoshino speed star final countdown shows in Higashi Osaka. We got one last year when we thought this is going to be the final one. And now we're getting one this year as it will very likely be the final one. And it's just, you know, almost the wrestling equivalent of a potluck. I think everybody was there in a very casual way. The wrestlers brought their talents to the table. None of it was tremendous, but none of it was bad. It's a very middle-of-the-road show with a few noteworthy things, but nothing groundbreaking. If you're pressed for time and you're on the Drangate Network, quite frankly, I would recommend just watching all of the Sambo Hall show and skipping this if you if you are crunched for time. But there was some stuff on here that I that I found myself enjoying. Yeah, yeah. I think that we went in depth for Kobe Sambo Hall. We're going to touch the things that really kind of uh, drew us to the show and kind of with the things that we kind of walked away going like, all right, that was very touching. Uh, Just off the top, it was on the 24th. It'll be up on the network until the first attendance. 516 case, which is actually up from last year. They drew an impressive two more fans to the Higashi Osaka Gymnasium. Do you know that Higashi Osaka's is Japanese for East Osaka case. I did not know that, Mike. I do know that growing the audience by two people is good enough uh, for me to vote for Masato Yoshino if he's ever on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballot. That's a real quick... Uh, think about I know we've got a lot to get to. If Yoshino was on the ballot, would you vote for him? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. No I, doubter. At, at some point... And, I mean, look, Shima can't get in, which... 
fuck, give me four months and I'll get upset about that again. I don't know why I try, but Shima and CM Punk (laughs) need to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Uh, But at some point, Shingo's got to get on that list. I think Yoshino's got to get on that list. I have said before, if Mochizuki was on the list, I'd vote for him, but that is purely uh, in ring because I Mm -hmm. think he's one of the best wrestlers of all time. But, you know, it would annoy me because Yoshino would get on the ballot and then nobody would care. But I would like to see him on the ballot. I'll say this without revealing too much. He is the third highest rated Dragon System person in my GWE 100. Very, very interesting. He is not. And my, you could, he's not my third highest. So that is that is we'll have to compare and contrast uh, on a future upcoming Pro Wrestling Torch podcast. <laughs> yeah, but no, he's such a no doubter for me. I mean, it's just one of those things that you like look at him, and he is one of the people in the company who I would say I would have a total influence kind of case i i mean uh it, lee moriarty wears like straps down because masato yoshino is one of his favorite wrestlers like aesthetically he is an influence in a way but the, the this show it's just it was like a very like the pot looks like their idea like we had some old friends come out here we had some new friends show up by the way but it just was just a very enjoyable watch i felt like this one kind of ran a lot more smoothly than last year's where we had the uh, musical performance of Di- uh, Dragon Dia's theme song. We didn't have that here. We didn't really have a lot of interludes here. Instead, we had six matches and a lot of those kind of in Masato Yoshino's image here. And we had one note, one match on here that was a notebook. Uh, case, I'm going to run down results and we can kind of pick and choose if that works for you. Yeah, I'm now fascinated by what match you went notebook on. All right, so the opener was an unaffiliated tag team of high ends, Keisuke Akuda and Benke Bensuke. Teaming with Hoho Loon against R.E.D.'s Kaido Ishida, S.B. Kento, and Hip Hop Kakuda. The fall was Ishida submitting Loon with the ankle hold. Second match was Dragon Kid and Ultimo Dragon, an affiliated team, versus Sachioko Machine and X. X ended up being Masato Higashi Osaka, which was Ryo Saito and, and uh, Masato Yoshino's gear and doing a parody of that. The, the fall was Dragon Kid submitting. Sachioko Machine with the Cristo. Match three was a kind of was like this. Uh, it was the Buddy Cops versus R.E.D. I was, I was trying to remember, like, was this a match that happened before for the titles? I don't remember, to be quite honest right now. But it was Mochizuki and Yoshida versus Kazuma Sakamoto and Kai. This was a no contest after R.E.D. interference. Match four was Don Fuji and Toru Owashi making a stopover for Masato Yoshino's hometown for a while. Versus Yazushi Kanda and Kakator. Owashi won with a running chokeslam on Kanda. Match 5 was Natural Vibes versus Masquerade. It was KZ, Sumi Yokosuka, Ginky Horiguchi, and UT versus Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and La Estrella. It was uh, Shun Skywalker with the SSW on Ginky Horiguchi. So that's two straight falls for Ginky there. And then the main event was the six-man tag team match. Unaffiliated team, Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, and Yamato half of the big six against the red team with one member of the big six bb hulk kind of the star of the young generation Ata and hio and the fall was masato yoshino submitting hio with the sol naciente in 15 minutes and 38 seconds so mike spears what was your match of the night natural vise versus masquerade four flat interesting i would say not even my favorite match on the show 
Really? Really? So what was your favorite match on the show? I, I really like Masquerade versus Natural Vibes. I, for some reason, the, the middle portion of the match didn't click with me. I thought it started hot. I thought it finished really hot. I am very excited at the prospect of a match that I know we're not going to get, which is Shun Skywalker versus Genki Horiguchi. I think those two would, would vibe off each other very well. But I thought the opening match on the show, Kakuta, Ishida, and Espy Kento, which is a fascinating trio that I would like to see more of, against Benkei, Akuda, and Hoho Loon, I went three and three quarters on this and was quite frankly very close to going four. I don't know what it was about this match. It was I, You're it much was, higher on this than I am. I, I it wasn't like a dumb jock six man. I mean, not with an educated man like Ho Ho Loon in there. But you would ask me the question earlier today if we thought Ho Ho Loon was getting really good or if he was just plugged into the right spots. And I think there is truth to both of that, because as we know over the past 15 years, anybody that spends a prolonged amount of time in Drangate is going to get noticeably better, and I think Loon falls into that category. And I also think he was just placed into a match where you had Ben K, who really impressed me on these two shows. I thought he looked healthy, I thought he moved around really well, I thought he kind of looked motivated for being in two meaningless matches, and Akuda against this hard-hitting trio of Kakuta, Ishida, and SB Kento, and it worked for me. I thought it was a really, really exciting opener, and while there was fun stuff on this show, nothing ever hit those highs that the opening match did for me. No, I totally understand this, and it's something that, like, it wasn't just that Ho-Ho Loon, like, fit in and was, like, doing his best thing. Like, it, it felt pretty seamless with him there in a way that sometimes he always kind of stuck out. Yeah, it was it was a good performance for everybody involved. I think I think Loon is a guy who, if this is his peak, if this is the best match of his career, more power to him. I think this is kind of his spot as someone that can be stuck into the you know sort of stuck into these matches and work from there. Because again, you plug him into the right spot. The Young Bucks talked about this of you know, Dragon's a very intimidating style if you're a wrestler because it looks like they're doing so much, but you learn very quickly. It's all a formula. They plug guys into the right spot, and all of a sudden you're in the right spot, and Ho Ho Loon tonight was in the right spot. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's something where I like the face-offs starting off. Like, that was like my big note I had. It was the face-offs starting this match I felt like were really solid because you had Ben and Kakuda just kind of just muscling down, and then Okuda and Ishida, I mean, we've said this, that this is going to be something they're going to go back to for the remainder of their career, and it just was just an absolute great time. I went three flat on it, but I understand your justification for three and three quarters. You went four stars on the semi-main. It's Masquerade versus Natural Vibes. We joked earlier. I guess we didn't joke. We were deadly serious about wanting a 10-man tag between these two units. What did this match do for you that pushed it to four stars? Well, it was kind of a loosey-goosey match. And this was actually me having a disappointing four-star match. Because you're absolutely right. The, the middle got away for it. I thought that the beginning and the end was so strong. I mean, La Australia did the Topa of the Year. Uh, the, the the Davey Richards Memorial Topa of the Year, where he went five rows into the crowd there. <laughs> that just cracked me up, Gase. He's, and then, he's so incredible. And it's again, it's one of those where it's like, oh, I, I'm not going to say La Australia is underrated. That's not the point here. But he made tapes so much so fast that we very quickly – not we didn't get desensitized, but we got used to his signature spots. And every once in a while, I'll just be watching him, and I'm like, "My God, La Estrella is like just a physical phenomenon. This man is doing stuff that is really, really impressive." And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that I the the right tastemakers that 
attract themselves to a bubble that that we don't necessarily reach at times haven't been able to gif the right sequence with this guy because I think with his look and with his moves he's someone that is going to turn heads when the right people see him yeah and it's something that like you like he has a very kind of like unassuming and a, and and very rarely I've seen Dragon Gate a little bit of a shindy look to him in a way you know I mean he, his gear and everything has looked a lot better since his debut but it's still one of those things that is still a work in progress but considering that this that this guy is still under half a year in wrestling is just insane and just like his his balance and his ring control stuff that takes what people a long time to develop he has it out of his gate and the, the my, my big takeaway from this match was the face-offs and the openings like these eight guys have tremendous chemistry together got loosey-goosey in the middle and that probably was why i was a little bit underwhelmed here because you because I think we can both agree here. There is so much of it. There's a match between these two units that would have the potential of being a match of the year contender. And I watched that. And I'm like, yeah, no, this could definitely happen in the future. I'm just kind of disappointed it didn't happen this night. Like, this is like the disappointing four stars work is. I really wanted to, like, come on here and be like, Case, this is a, this is a sleeper match of the year. People needed to watch it. But instead, I walked away going like, that was amazing. But I know they have a better one in them. It seems like they've gotten away from some of these booking patterns in Corkin specifically, but that does seem like the type of match that could headline, especially if the direction at some point becomes Skywalker versus KZ, which I, I think is is likely. I wouldn't say it's definite, but I, it would not surprise me at all if between now and the summer we got Skywalker versus KZ in some capacity. Just put those 10 guys in the main event and let them let them do their thing. I think that would be a refreshing change of pace in Corkin specifically, and I think it would be a great match. It would be a lot of fun, much like, and I do want to talk about Masato Yoshino, but before we talk about Masato Yoshino, we have to talk about Masato Higashi Osaka. <laughs> the, the, the creepiest parody I've seen in a long time. Uh, so there's a photo, and I don't know if it's on, I, I think it's on the Dragon Gate Network Twitter. It's on one of the the Drangate official ones. It's just a picture of Saito in the Yoshino gear, puffing out his chest. And I saw it pretty early in the morning. I wasn't fully awake at this point. And I have to say, this picture scared the shit out of me. I wasn't sure what I was looking at. I was quite honestly super confused and I, I, like, I couldn't process it in my brain because Yoshino was wearing a t-shirt on the, la- on the last show that I saw him on, and I, I assumed he wouldn't be the Greek god that he typically is, that maybe he, you know, because of his injury, hadn't been able to keep up in literally the best physical condition of any human on the planet, which is the standard that Yoshino typically works at. But I was looking at this photo going like, okay, I... What what is happening? I don't understand this right now. And it was, quite quite honestly, it was scary. I was scared. Yeah, it, it, it's something like, I'm not looking at this photo, but the, the one thing that Ryo Saito did in his photos, he does the smolder that Masato Yoshino does. Like, and he kept on playing up on the fact that Masato Yoshino has like the eyebrow raised just playing ahead. Like, you like look at his eyes, and it's a very sensual look case. Like, I, I'm confirming enough, enough myself to say that Masato Yoshino can do a very sensual look, and Ryo Saito is someone who should never be doing that look in his life because it looks disturbing. I need to see a show at some point of Dragon Gate wrestlers 
parroting other Dragon Gate wrestlers, and that needs to be the show. And that seems like if like if Prime Zone ever returns, that's what I want Prime Zone to be: as Saito wrestling as oh, Yoshino, God, yes. Shimizu wrestling as Ultimo, Doi wrestling as Punch Tamanaga. Why not? I just I need uh, the Yoshino parody, the physicality that Saito had was unbelievable. It was such a good parody. And it was creepy. It was just <laughs> disturbing. I didn't like it, but it was so entertaining. Yeah, and it was one of those things. I think it took everyone else in the match aback, by the way. Uh, uh, GM Yagi was the uh, uh, referee in this. And he, he sometimes wears a face mask while he's refing. Sometimes he doesn't. He could not stop corpsing. <laughs> like, that was part of it. Like, as soon as uh, Masato Higashi Osaka came out there, this guy who... It, he, I love him as a referee because he is very genuine, and you could tell when something tickles him. And this like made his week, I think, because how much he was amused by this. Uh, you, you brought up like that show of like a mystery vortex show. The the bummer is, and it's not going to happen. I guess for the next year, Stardom used to do what they call the costume change battle royal, as one of their Golden Week shows, and everyone would take other people's gear and then wrestle in that gimmick, and it would be an incredibly faithful reproduction. But, like the big thing that hits that I remember is, and I understand this might go over your head a little bit, Case, but Konami wrestled as Kagetsu, right? Right before, like, when the last year before Kagetsu retired. And the the big thing is that Kagetsu's finisher is a 450 splash. And Konami was getting up on the top rope there, and everyone was like, oh, is Konami going to try this? And she was immediately eliminated before she attempted the 450 splash. I need Drangate to steal that idea. I think that's so funny, and I think that's the type of thing that would get super over. That should be, at some point, the next stage of the Royal Sambo Battle Royal. Yes. At least, at least yes. once they need to bust that out, because I really, I, I'm entertained by that idea, and we've now seen two examples of Drangate cosplay that are wildly entertaining. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. And there was one really noteworthy thing on the show before we move on to our Dara Live preview. In the post-match of the main event, Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi requested to do a special match at Dead or Alive that they wanted to team with Eita and BB Hulk as a part of the Masato Yoshino countdown, which is something they've done before with like Akira Tozawa and Katoka. When they left the company and retired, they did uh, interesting matchups on the way out here. After a whole lot of interplay, Eita and Hulk agreed only if that Yoshino and Doi wore all red gear. Naruki Doi, who has never sold a set of his gear in his life, is like, yeah, I've got red gear. I've, I've every box of crayons. Come on, man. And Masato Yoshino, uh, I know Jay tweeted about this and it made me think. Masato Yoshino, with the exception of Blood Generation, has not been in a unit with a uh, red key color. That's that's true. So I look forward to seeing what Yoshino busts out because he's kind of... Is he worn like almost like Mexican flag color tights at some point? I feel like we've seen him in a dark red for big matches, but it's not something consistent that he would have worn. Yeah, he did it at least once. Uh, like, of course, he had a red because I was a keystone color of Italian connection, but he's not going to come out of sexy Tarzan. You know, no, no, like he that. is not. Let, let, me no, ask you, let, let me ask you this about Yoshino. What did you think of him in this match? Uh, I felt like that he looked as good as you would suspect for someone who is retiring with major neck and back injuries who they wanted to protect because he had three months before retirement. Yeah. Is that a fair thing to say? No, that is 
I mean, that is it. It's interesting. You know, I've talked for a year at this point about this piece on Masato Yoshino that I'm working on, which everybody temper your expectations. It hasn't taken a year to write. It's Masato Yoshino changed course last year. And I was like, well, I guess I have six more months to work on this article. But the reoccurring theme is just how Yoshino preaches perfection. And there are some very interesting quotes in there from wrestlers that I've worked with them talking about how Masato Yoshino not only demands perfection from himself, but anybody that he shares a ring with or that is in the Drangate ring, it, it's, it really matters to him. And watching Yoshino here, he didn't look bad. He didn't botch anything that I'm aware of. At least it wasn't noticeable to me. But he was a step slower than Masato Yoshino should be. Quite frankly, he looked human in parts of this match. And when Masato Yoshino looks human, it is noticeable, and it is a little depressing. And I I, I am reminded of a spot, and I, I will retweet the GIF when this episode comes out. When Yoshino returned, we talked about his, his return match in 2017 against Tamanaga earlier on in the show. He worked dead or alive that year, and it was an eight-man. It was maximum against the Jimmies at that point. And mm-hmm. there's a spot in this match that has completely been burned into my memory where Doi and Yoshino hit the ropes and they go for tandem suicide dives. And I think Doi dives onto Horiguchi Yoshino. And this is him, you know, this is 2017, 2017 injury. We thought would end his career. And he returned three months later. This was one of his first matches back and Yoshino dives and does the suicide dive onto Kness and Kness takes such good care of him on this dive. I mean, he absorbs 100% of the dive, and then when they fall to the floor, Kness cradles him like a father would to his son. You know, it it was a a level of care that really spoke to me then, but it was one of the first times that I thought, wow, Masada Yoshino looks human, and he was able to, to rehabilitate himself and recover, and we saw him over the past three years look like one of the greatest wrestlers to ever exist, and this time around... He's been slowed down yet again, and it was not not disappointing in the sense that I would expect more from Yoshino. He's done more than enough for me as a fan and for Drangate as an entity, but it's it's disappointing to see somebody like this in the condition they're in. Yeah, yeah, and it does make me wonder if he's saving it for his final match. You know, I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be in my brain, you know, until August 1st. But at the same time, I thought this was a really fun match. Like, I thought that Ada and Hio surprisingly had great teamwork together for, like, a team that, like, Hio's usually in the main event on these shows, but me, but Hio's usually in the main event on these shows because he's the guy that'll take the fall. But I thought that Ada and Hio were great in it. And, you know, it, it, it this was a match that even though, like, I don't want to get too depressing about Masato Yoshino here. Uh, it's something where, like, it's not that he was bad. It's just, like, you could tell that, like, all the, I mean, he had the option when he had his back and neck injury to get a surgery but and prolong his career, but he just he elected not to because he was like, I'm the speed star, and I'm going to go out as the speed star, and it's just something that's just like, you know, time is the only game in town that no one ever wins, and we had that in Higashi Osaka. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what he does going forward. That Dead or Alive match, which I guess we can transition into our Dead or Alive preview, like you said, it's going to be Doi, Yoshino, Hulk, and Ata against four mystery opponents. So we'll see, and, and if we get the news on one of the upcoming house shows 
either the 429 show or the 54 show. We'll obviously have that information over at Open Voicegate on Twitter. But I, do you have any feel for who those opponents could be? Because I have no idea what direction they're going. You know, it's something where I kind of hope that they get Awashi back for this and they maybe do like a T2P match, but I can't I can't really say that I expect it to happen, to be quite honest. It's just something that It seems like something it, that would that they would promote it if right. it was going to be that. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network i, I they, mean they look, wouldn't announce it this th- late this is this is not the last time we're seeing toro washi this year i would expect that man to be seen very free <laughs> whatever show masadi yoshida is on for the rest of the year Owashi is probably going to be on that show yeah and we would have known that if shuji kondo's uh achilles tendon didn't blow it on him he would be on those shows as well uh and and when you look at like the rest of the show and the people who are not booked there's a lot of people here like that they could be doing like they could totally do a young generation match and have uh estrella oh no estrella's in the uh triangle gate match never mind there uh 
Minora, uh, Kamei, and then, you know, maybe see if one of the future kids are ready to go, maybe. If they can do something real simple, I doubt that. But, like, you'd be doing something of that nature. Or Shimizu, you could toss Shimizu in there. Like, it, it's something where, like, there's enough people left out of this match. Like, you could completely do this from former Torimon generation guys. Just go Ultimo, Don Fuji, Kanda, and who who should be the fourth? Kakatora. So, uh, Kakatora or Saito. Yeah. Or I guess instead of Kness, you can do Kness, you can do Saito and Kakatora there very easily. I, I was looking, and I I forget this card off the top of my head. First of all, does Ata have a match on this show? Oh, he's, a, he's in a, this yeah, match. Never mind. I was like, okay. I was like, because I <laughs> I didn't remember what it, I was like. Ata's got to be booked. He is. But is there are there four Red guys that aren't booked yet? Because there's Hyo who doesn't Inferno. have a match. Inferno, Diamante. It's only three. I thought maybe they would do an Red foursome there. But it Bridge doesn't. book Kakatora. Let's go. God, I would support that. I thought he was excellent there. So, yeah, I, if I was a betting man, I would say it's going to be Ultimo and Saito and, and whoever else they want to throw in there, which is fine. I, you know, I, I yeah. certainly don't need this match to be any sort of match of the year contender. But, you know, we're recording this a week out from Dead or Alive. And like I said, we'll be back with the Dead or Alive review next week. So expect to show a day later in your feeds. I just have no possible feel. Hopefully by the time that you are constructing the Voices of Wrestling written preview for Dead or Alive, we have a better idea of who it is. But at the time we're recording, I just have no feel whatsoever for who X could be. Yeah, yeah. But it'll be interesting. It's nice that they are doing this on the way out for Yoshino. You know, I mean, this is the last big show before Kobe World. So, you know, it's I'm glad they're kind of doing this thing. You have the remaining parts of the B, the big six with the exception of Yamato, because Yamato's in the main event. And then you have Eita, who is kind of the star of the next generation after the Big Six. And then I feel like this is a very fitting thing. It reminds me of how Tozawa wanted to have the Big Six trios match at Gate of Destiny 2016 as his farewell match. So it's all very fitting. Absolutely. And, you know, we have some confusion there with the X's and who they can be. But luckily, the rest of the card that we have is very straightforward and very good. Yeah, non-stop banger, so the next five matches on the show, which, you know, that's the other thing about about these shows. There usually are only about seven or eight matches, so th- they're going to have to find people on the show. Oh, Don Fuji, we left Don Fuji off the list. Don Fuji could very easily be on this match as well. But, yeah, so we have four title matches, and we have the uh, cage risk match. Going through the show, the, the Open the Twin Gate Championship match is the buddy cop tag team of Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida making their next defense against Kaido Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto. I'm very excited for this match. It is just like every other Twin Gate match that we've talked about during this reign, where it really comes down to the Yoshida factor, because Mochizuki and Sakamoto have proven they have great chemistry. We really haven't seen a ton of Ishida versus Mochizuki in Ishida's career, but when we have, and notably Final Gate 2017 or maybe it was 2016, when they did Fuji and Mochizuki versus Takahiro Yamamura and Kaito Ishida. That was a tremendous match and a a violent and disgusting affair, but it was very fun to watch for me because I'm not Kaito Ishida or Takahiro Yamamura. We've seen them in very few settings, but every time we see them, they're awesome together. I mean, it's Mochizuki and and Ishida. It makes sense. You, You think about what those two guys can bring to the ring, they bring it every single time. It comes down to whether or not Yoshida is going to be, you know, I would say on. Yeah, on, because think about 
the horrific Takashi Yoshida matches that have taken place in this building, not only the Shima Dreamgate match from 2012, which is legendary, and we talked about that match a little bit with Jay last year on the show, back in our archives, I think that was from April of last year, uh, and everything that happened after the post-match, which was eye-opening, but also even... You know, the 2017 cage match, which was Yamato defending against all the guys in Antios. I, like, I didn't I didn't think that was a very good cage match, and I thought Yoshida, that was the that was the match where he lost his mask, and I, I didn't think he was very good in that match. So this is a building that has not been kind to him in the past, but he's never been saddled with this many other good wrestlers around him. So I trust that he can deliver, because all of their matches have been very fun so far. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's going to be something where, like, Yoshida and this tag team has earned enough cachet with me that I'm like, okay, I expect this to be good, maybe verging on great. You know, like the, this is a this is probably the the uh, low floor, somewhat medium high ceiling on the show. I would say so. This if is, this hits I'll, four stars, it's it'll be a big home run. If this hits four stars, then case you're going to be revising 2019 Kobe World as the best Dragon Gate show of all time. Yeah. Well. Uh, yes. I. I. I like that take a lot, but before we transition into just an absurd amount of great matches, uh, do the champions retain here? You know, I, I'm looking at the titles here, and there are one, no doubter, defense. The other three, I would say, are more up in the air. This one, less so, I think, uh, Mochizuki and Yoshida retain. Yeah, I'm going with the champions retaining here. I Look, I would love to see Yoshida and Sakamoto together but I don't see any immediate path to the next challengers. The matches would be good, but I don't know of anything interesting on the surface that they could do. Mochizuki and Yoshida still have juice to them. I think they'll retain it, and I hope they retain. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we get to the Brave Gate match. This is the one that was made at Kobe Sambo Hall. Keisuke Akuda making his fifth defense of the Open the Brave Gate Championship against Nagoya Native UT, second time in in a row for him, at least, that he's had a Brave Gate shot at Dead or Alive. His last one was in 2019, and of course there was no Dead or Alive in 2020, but he was also out injured for a lot of that. Is there any chance at all that we leave this show with a new Open the Brave Gate champion? You know, I think this, out of the, out of the, uh, between this and the Trial Gate match, these are the two matches where I can see there being title changes, and I think this is less likely than the uh, Masquerade one, but I, if if I'm going to give percentage, I would say uh, 66 and two thirds uh, Okuda, uh, one third UT, so 33 and one third. Yeah, I, I I would be shocked if UT won this match. I'm about at at an 80 20 here in favor of Okuda. The good news is. There's a very good chance, especially you knowing your taste, but I think universally the Western Dragon Gate fan base, there's a very good chance this is the match of the night. Mm -hmm. And while I don't want to set people's expectations too high, it would not surprise me. I do not think it's likely, but it also would not surprise me if we left this show and we left this match with a little bit of match of the year buzz. Yeah, I, I think that this is probably the sneaky pick for match of the night. This is the match. I would say with the highest floor and, and you know, I mean the the next two title matches have the same ceiling that like, I can't discount the triangle gate match or dream gate match having potential to, to getting five stars now. Like, I think that's the world we live in maybe less so on the dream gate title, but this is, these are two guys who are tailor made for each other. 
like UT becoming the uh, the mini maestro of the Dragon System and just really just becoming one of the more fascinating wrestlers to watch against Keisuke Akuda, who's kind of already have ch- has changed the Brave Gate into his own image here and two very complimentary styles. If this gets time, and I think it will, it could be something special. And it's a very, very fresh matchup. We talked a few weeks ago when we, we previewed King of Gate thinking we were going to get the Cork and Hall show and the Kobe Sambo Hall show just about how many first-time-ever matchups, or at least first-time televised matchups, we were getting in King of Gate, and this fits that same theme. These two had a singles match on October 18th of last year on a non-televised show. Kaisuke Akuda won that match. And other than that, they have teamed a lot. They teamed a lot in Team Dragon Gate, but the only other time they've been on opposite sides of the ring from one another after that non-televised house show match in October of last year was on February 27th of this year, they did Yamato and Akuda versus Yokosuka and UT, and then they will have another non-televised match on April 29th uh, coming up. That'll be the day after the show is released, and then we don't have the card for 5-4 yet. I would assume they'll be on opposite sides there, but we just haven't we haven't seen a lot of this. You know, they were they were on opposite sides of the ring in, in Higashi Osaka. No, they weren't. They were... Did we see them in a televised match? No, I don't think we have. So, yeah, it's a very fresh matchup, but just knowing how consistently good these two have been, I think it's going to be a great match. Yeah, and what I think is also going to be a great match with a lot of kind of first-time matchups, at least in this combination that we have here, is the Triangle Gate Championship match. This is the Natural Vibes champion team of KZ, Ginky Horikuchi, and Susumi Yokosuka versus the Masquerade Challengers team of Jason Lee, La Estrella, and Dragon Daya in his 2021 debut and you know just because of natural vibes and masquerade being so new we haven't seen like the six-man tag and i mean especially with like la Australia, other than having a match against Asumu yokosuka as his debut you know they've kind of kept him a little bit of a part here but if there's gonna be a title change on the showcase i think it's this match yeah i would co-sign that for a few reasons one i think dia returning and dia since his debut has been treated like a big star I would be very surprised if he loses in this match. I, I think they are using this as a vehicle to get him over. You also have the fact that if we were operating under the original King of Gate schedule, Jason Lee is in King of Gate, but he only has one televised match, and we know Jason Lee is not winning. You have Yokosuka in KZ and King of Gate, though, and as I talked about last week, I don't think KZ would be the betting odds favorite, but I certainly wouldn't be able to look you in the eyes and tell you definitively that KZ isn't planned to win King of Gate right now. And I think they need to get the title off of him for that reason, at least to make him not a more legitimate contender, but a more realistic contender, if if you believe in a differentiation between those two. And this is another one where, you know, my expectations are sky high. There was a a Twitter account, uh, it was a Japanese Twitter account, so I don't remember who it was, but they pointed out that the trio of Lee, Estrella, and Dragon Daya, this is going to be the smallest Triangle Gate team ever to challenge for the belts, which I think that is just a fun fact. Yeah, when Jason Lee is your heater in a, in a, tag t- in a trio. <laughs> when Jason it, Lee is Big Daddy Diesel all of a sudden. <laughs> Jason Lee as Big Daddy Diesel, when they do the costume change show, he should come out as Big Daddy Cool. That's it, well... God, they need to get him and Shimizu in the same unit because it's going to be Shimizu as Scott Hall and Jason Lee as Big Daddy Cool. The the, the outsiders we all truly deserve. But yeah, it, it's something that if KC is going to be viable here, Dragon Gate does not do double champions very often. Like I can only think of a handful across the last 
16 years, 16 years plus. I mean, it was a little different Torimon. So it, if there's going to be a KZ King of Gate run, and we're supposed to believe that as the winner of King of Gate, he will be getting an upcoming Dreamgate shot, most likely on July 31st at Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021, he will need to drop the titles. So there's that. Uh, Ginky and Susumu, I just kind of like look at them as like the veteran strong hands, whereas this could be a real defining thing for a lot of Australia. I mean, he's not going to be fastest to a title because that's still going to be Strong Machine J, which when, when you were talking about the Dragon Gate Network, I did look on the account. He is doing content with them again, even though he's injured. <laughs> which I, I mean, look, I mean, I'm I'm glad he's around because I still think there's value in Strong Machine J, but the the injuries are certainly concerning there. But your point about Horiguchi and Susumu, you know, this is an insane match for La Australia to be in six months after his debut. He's in a Triangle Gate match that he will likely win on one of the five marquee shows of the year. But if I was going to put a wrestler that has been under this gimmick for six months in a in a championship match on one of the five marquee shows of the year, I would trust no one more than Genki Horiguchi and someone who has proven to be able to rein him in in the past and Susumi Yokosuka. So there's just a lot to like here. I, I, this might be my most anticipated match of the night, just because I'm so excited, one, to see Daya back, because I, you know, I lost my mind consistently over him last year, but two, just to see what this match looks like, and what these guys are capable of, and what they're going to do. I'm very, very excited about the potential here. So, what's your percentage of the title change here? And I will ask a follow-up after this. I'll say 60-40 we get new champions, but I, I, I would say the challengers have to be the favorite for for the reasons we've given. On paper, I think natural vibes, just in terms of like kayfabe stature, it's going to be natural vibes. But for the reasons we've given, I think we have to look at Masquerade as, as real contenders. Yeah, 60-40 is fair, but how does that change if I tell you that Daya Inferno is still lurking around? Oh, God, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about Mike Spears. This is why they pay you the big bucks. This is why with Manscaped, you can get 20% off in free shipping because this guy brings listeners to the podcast. What a goddamn great point. Yeah, no, that is exactly what we're doing here. Masquerade is winning this match, and then I look forward to seeing what combination of R.E.D. guys challenge them because Diane Inferno is lurking in the background. Diane Inferno is look, lurking in the background and only comes out when needed, but his arch rival has returned. You know, I was surprised Die Inferno didn't like flip out during the uh, Royal Sanbo. You know, I mean, the the reason why he's here has returned now. He should have purpose. Yeah, that's you know what? That's a little bit of a bad job out of Drangate. I didn't even think about that, but because well, I mean, I, it's, I think we got so it, used to Inferno just buying time it, and being around. Yeah, that that's why we didn't think about it because Die Inferno has been a non-entity for the most part since and since Dragon Die has been on the shelf. Yeah, God, that's funny. I didn't even think about that, but that is that is a really good point. So yeah, I think you have to look at Masquerade as coming away with the belts for a variety of reasons now. Yeah, I, I, it was just something that kind of popped in my head when I was like looking and thinking about Dragon Die that we have to consider the fact that Inferno exists as Inferno because Dragon Daya wants that he's the next generation dragon and they need to have his darkness dragon and that's and that's dragon uh that is Daya Inferno not Dragon Daya Inferno come on Spears uh semi main event this is the open the Dreamgate championship match this is Shun Skywalker defending against Hip Hop Kakuda first time uh challenger Hip Hop Kakuda I think that this is a foregone conclusion in the finish here uh case you have any doubt in your mind that Hip Hop Kakuda 
could be the next Open the Dreamgate champion. Oh, man. I Look, I would love to see this guy who is a year into his wrestling career win the Open the Dreamgate belt. Someone who, by the way, is younger than me and will turn— Disgusting. Will tur- he'll turn 22 in September, and he's challenging for the Open the Dreamgate belt. Mike, the combined age of people in this match, Skywalker will be 25 at the end of the month. Right now he is 24. Hip-Hop Kakuta— is 21 so it is 24 and 21 so what is that that's a combined age of 45 masaki mochizuki when he last won the open the Dreamgate title he was 47 years old at the start of that reign we are dealing with you know obviously Estrella being so young in his career you know even even a guy like kaisuke akuda who doesn't have a ton of road miles on him he's a little bit older but he doesn't necessarily have you know years and years of entering experience you have SB Kento in the main event, and you have this just absurdly young open the Dreamgate title match. But I have no doubt from what we've seen with their chemistry that Kakuta is going to be able to deliver in the spot. I think this is going to be a really excellent match. I think it's going to be hard hitting, and I think Kakuta over the past year has proven that he knows the Dragon Gate finishing stretch style. I think we're going to see some crazy lariats and some crazy kicks in this match. It's going to end with Kakuta taking the fall, but I'm okay with that because I think this is going to be a big moment in his career. We talked about, you know, last week, under the normal King of Gate schedule, I think Kakuta was scheduled to have three televised matches. SB Kento was only supposed to have one. So main event Kakuta is not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, with a guy of his size and with his age, like you could just easily like just forecast out like this, how he's going to like progress. I mean, when you're not even 22, I mean, you still have some growing left to do. And it's just remarkable because like these are also two of the tallest people in Dragon System history facing off here, which I've which is just like one of those kind of just like fun little quirks there to kind of throw into the mix as well. But I, I have loved all their face offs. I feel like that since champion get to this. In comparison to the cage match, I feel like that they've been very even in the buildup of this. Their face-offs have all felt spirited, and they've shown some innate chemistry there. That like, that the, this is a match that I I do have very high expectations. I think Shun Skywalker, due to circumstances out of his control, has had what people would perceive as a kind of an underwhelming championship reign. But I feel like that this is another one. I mean, you take do, out the do last. Do you think that though? Because I I, the, I think the... perception. Perception wise, it's interesting. Like the the build to the Skywalker matches, they've all been good. I mean, he's either wrestling Natural Vibes or Red on these smaller televised shows, and they're all good. It seems like the the benchmarks to the title matches haven't been the most exciting, but all of the title matches have been excellent. But there's still this weird perception that even I talked about after the Sakamoto defense about how I, I have shaken off the cobwebs of any idea that Skywalker's reign is underwhelming in any way, but you bring it up and it's like, yeah, it feels underwhelming even if it's been awesome, and I don't know why that is. I think his first defense, like what the unfortunate last two minutes of the Benkei match, color things, I think the fact that like I, I think perception gap is a little bit now lessened between Western and native fans. I should say Western. I, I always try not to say that. International and uh, native fans. And it's something that, I mean, you look at how he's positioned on the cards, and he does not feel like the 
main event player, even though he's Dreamgate champion, because you have like he uh, he wasn't in the final match that Masato Yoshino had in his hometown. He was in the main event of the uh, Kobe Sumbo Hall show, but that was very much just booking for the uh, main event or the uh, title match at Dead or Alive. He was not in the main event. He was in the opener of one of the Fukuoka shows and was in the main event. The second one was before intermission. Actually, he was in the opener in the last Corican. Now that I'm looking at it, and that's where this current notebook goes back to. He's not like treated as a main eventer, but it's also something that you could say about Eita, that Eita wasn't consistently the main event as well. But it's something where like I know that like I've kind of just like hammered the point home that Masquerade is not the unit that uh, international fans think it is. But I don't think that he's like a cursed dude. And I don't think that he doesn't have the potential to eventually be the guy, be a generational ace. But it's just one of those things I feel like that when it comes down to it, Shun Skywalker is not the big star. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair argument to say that he hasn't popped off the screen like a big star would. But then you assess what he's done, and I don't know if I had, if I had the Dragon Gate pencil right now, I'd be okay with this run. It's just it's weird. The almost emotional toll is the term that I want to use that this reign has has taken out of people because. It's been a good run. I think it really has, but you have to tell yourself that for you to believe it. It's really strange. I don't remember another Dreamgate run that has felt like this. Yeah, yeah. It's you know what it kind of feels like in a way, and this might sound a little weird. Uh, this feels like uh, Yamato's last Hell Reign as it started in 2016, in a way. Yeah, I, that's that's probably a fair comp. I mean, that Yamato run. God, that that really impacted my enjoyment of Drangate towards the end because I I didn't even feel like a lot of those matches were delivering in the same way that the Skywalker matches had, and that was a reign that lasted for four hundred and twenty one days. But even that, like Skywalker won the belt in November and then he defended it in December and then twice in March and now here, you know, Yamato won the belt in July and then defended it in September, and then again in December. So he went five months with two defenses, which yeah. really got him off on the wrong foot. And then he had, you know, not only a Cyber Kong singles match defense, but then the, the mask versus hair Dreamgate match between Yamato and all of Antios that I referenced earlier on in the show, and then had that, that lame duck T-Hawk defense at World that year, which was a really good match, but I remember nobody really being excited for it. Um, I I think it's been better than the Yamato reign, quite frankly. I mean, Yamato, when he won the belt, it was against Takagi at Kobe World 2016. I think that is in the upper echelon of Dreamgate matches ever. The the build, that's the thing with that Yamato run, was the build started at Dead or Alive, and it went through World. And the build to it, with the blow-off Yamato versus Shingo match, I don't have a single critique. It was the chef's kiss equivalent of booking. It was perfection. And then every step along the way, Yamato versus Tozawa, Yamato versus Doi, that weird half-hour Yamato versus Hulk match in Cork and Hall, and then you had the Cyber Kong stuff, like I said, and then the T-Hawk match up until he finally lost it against Mochizuki. I don't, I don't think I love any of those matches. I think the Tozawa one was pretty good. I, I liked but didn't love the Doi match. I liked but didn't love the Hulk match. I didn't like the two Cyber Kong matches. The T-Hawk the match was good, but I didn't care about it. And even that Mochizuki versus Yamato match, I, I, I remember at the time 
almost feeling guilty that Masaki Mochizuki was now the Dreamgate champion, but that Yamato run had taken so much out of me as a fan at that point that I just, I just didn't care that much. Yamato was sucking the life out of the company for me, which I know sounds harsh, but that run was just exhausting, whereas Skywalker is... He almost sneaks up on you. Like, he's not in the forefront of my mind, but then when when he makes himself known, it's a positive. So I mm-hmm. look at Skywalker as a net positive and that Yamato run as a net negative, and hopefully I explain that well enough. Yeah, you, you've kind of talked me off that point. And also with Yamato, you also have to count in that as soon as that Tozawa defense happened at Dangerous Gate 2016, uh, Tozawa announced his departure, and that consumed everything up through Gate of Destiny. And you had the weird, like, Naruki Doi, Lone Wolf thing that they were waiting around for Masato Yoshino so they could do the, reun- the reuniting, and then they kind of, like, prolonged that with Maximum at that time, too. So, yeah, I, I guess that color is a lot of that for me. But yeah, it, the, the it's run just left a bad taste. I'm looking at this rain now in the cage match. I hated this stretch of <laughs> 400 days. I fucking hated the Dreamgate stretch for a while. It was... It was just really not interesting. Even the Mochizuki stuff is some of the, I think that that last Mochizuki run is some of the least interesting stuff I think Mochizuki has ever done in his career because he wins the belt from Yamato. Great match by the way. Best match of Yamato's run. Yes, if you're not if you're not counting the match when he wins the belt, yes. And then he's got the Susumu match which I think I really liked. The I went four and three quarters on okay, that match. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, yeah, okay. I, I remember being lower on it than you, but still liking it. The Rio Saito match at Final Gate, which was just another one where it's just like, God, Dragon Gate in 2017 was just fucking weird. Like, I just didn't... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't all bad, oh, no. but I didn't like it. I didn't and, like Dragon Gate that year. It was really frustrating. And And to be fair, it was very weird for a good reason for how things played out in 2018. You, no, in hindsight, it makes... Total sense. Uh, and then from there, that the latter half of uh, Mochizuki's run, it was the KZ match that we both love, uh, the Ben K match at Champion Gate, which I remember that Ben K match as Champion Gate in Osaka 2018. And and as someone that was at this point still, you know, obviously I still am now, but reviewing every Dragon Gate big show for voiceofwrestling.com, I wasn't even doing the podcast at this time because uh, I, I had had to kind of pull back on the Dragon Gate coverage I was doing just because I, I wasn't super into it. But I remember that Ben K match almost being like hope of, you know, God, Ben K is going to figure it out, you know, one day and he's going to be a future Dreamgate champion. And he was, and it was excellent. And then you had the Shimizu match at Memorial Gate in Wakayama, which I've never seen. And then that, that Yoshino versus Mochizuki match at the King of Gate finals in Hakata that year, which was kind of a cursed match because we talked about Masato Yoshino's perfection earlier and that's a Yoshino versus Mochizuki match where they fuck up the finish, which I just, I can't imagine yeah. those two doing that, but that's what happened. Yeah, because that was when, uh, in King of Gate, that um, Masato Yoshino was winning everything with flash pens. Yeah. And they fucked up the flash pen in that finish there. So, yeah. And Anyways, it's something that. Open the Dream Gate <laughs> title history. <laughs> yeah, open the Dream Gate title history. So, it'll be interesting. And then we have the main event it is Mas- Mascara contra Caballero, Steel Cage Survival Tag Team match. This is a perhaps incredible match where hated rivals team with each other. So Yamato is teaming with Kai and Dragon Kid is teaming with SP Kento. But it also is Revelo Suicida, which means that in in Lucha terms, basically losing team immediately has to do an Apuestas match. That is the case here, but it is a cage match. The rules are the most simple cage match rules that they've had in at least six years. Three flags are, are... 
will be placed on top of the cage. The first team to pull down two flags will win the match. The losing team will immediately face face off against each other in a singles match with the loser having to shave their hair or remove their mask. Are you at all worried about the clap crowd environment for this match specifically? I would if we didn't already see one of these cage matches in a clap crowd, but then again, that did have the biggest stake, the only stake that is that is comparable to Dragon Kid's mask in Masato Yoshino's career at that point. But, I mean, you, you have an Aichi team in Dragon Kid and SP Kento. I feel like that if any situation is going to provoke the fans to do more than just clap, I think that that's going to do it. I'm not as worried, and I think there's going to be enough shenanigans afoot here, and especially like the idea of how, what is R.E.D. going to do with Kai and SP Kento? Like, that's a big thing in there. Then, like, high-end. It will be interesting, though. Like, Masquerade, Natural Vibes, and the unaffiliated people, they have no reason to be on the outside in the cage here. Like, that's the aspect I find kind of interesting, is I don't know how much hijinks we're going to get this year just because of how this match is set up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. I, I had not thought about the Masquerade and Natural Vibes perspective on this match. That's a really good point. I You, you talked me off the ledge there. Aichi Natives... And we already saw one of these cage matches, and it was great. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal cage match. So I'm not worried about that anymore. We've talked for months now, ever since really the conclusion of Final Gate and the perfect R.E.D. versus Toriyaman Generation match, where we figured at some point SB Kento was getting his head shaved. This seems like, obviously, the very natural conclusion. Is there any other finish that you see possible that is not SB Kento getting his head shaved? So let me run down the other three people. Let me tell you how I'm 100% certain that SB Kento is losing this match. Okay. Yamato's finally growing out his hair, but a lot of that also is Yamato has sneak, not body shaming, he has huge ears. He has huge <laughs> ears. And when he lost the hair match earlier, like he's already lost an Apuestas match, and they usually don't have people lose multiple Apuestas matches in Dragon Gate. It just does not really happen. Buzzed head, big eared, high end Yamato just. I just don't see that's that's likely. Kai is still a freelancer, and unless he's getting a nice big payday here, his hair is staying set. He has flowing locks, we'll say there. Dragon Kid is never going to lose his mask. SB Kento's hair has been growing out to a remarkable degree. Shit, I was not expecting you to talk about Yamato's ears like that. That's really funny. Uh, Am not, I wrong? Not, no, that's the thing. You're not. You're not wrong. Um, I just <laughs> they made jokes about his ears when he got his head shaved. You're right, and that's it's that match. We talked about this when we previewed Dangerous Gate last year, which was the the last cage match. Uh, unfortunately, Gate of Destiny 2011 is not on the Dragon Gate Network right now, but that is one of the better cage matches they've done. Blood Warriors versus Junction Three. The we talked about Cyber Kong struggling in this building earlier. Takashi Yoshida. That is one where he was on the Cyber Kong performance in that cage match. It comes down to him and Yamato, and it is more thrilling than any action movie I've ever seen. And it ended with Yamato getting his head shaved. So we've seen that. You know, I, I don't even factor Dragon Kid into this equation. It's not happening. I would say it's about a 90-10 split of SBK getting his head shaved to Kai getting his head shaved. Because it would not surprise me if SBK and, and Dragon Kid are the ones to escape. I think it would be unlikely, but if that happens and it's just a classic Dragon Gate swerve, you know, I, I've seen it coming to some extent, I, I will say that. But I think the very, very likely result is SBK losing his hair, which will be 
you know, fast ending. He, you know, Kakuda's a year into his career. SBK's 18 months into his career. And look at what they've done. I mean, the two marquee matches on one of the biggest shows of the year in a title match and in a Plestis cage match. No one turns out young wrestlers quite like Dragon Gate. It is, it, it is incredible. I, and I, again, I don't want to get into an underrated thing, but what other promotions doing this? Two guys less than two years into their careers headlining one of the biggest shows of the year. No one's doing this. Yeah, I mean, if you're someone who has a way to get to Japan and you're a pro wrestler, it is only going to benefit you to train in Kobe. Like, we've seen this with people coming in. We've seen this with, like, their trainees. And, I mean, I almost in a way think that they're, that SB Kento gets this crazy push with all this, knowing that they knew that he was not going to get Rookie of the Year awards, kind of, like, stick it to them in a way, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it is... I, I love that this rookie of the year thing, at least on this show, but I, I think elsewhere it's kind of uh, caught some lore, dare I say, the lore of SP Kento and the rookie of the year award, because it's something that as this guy progresses in his career and becomes a future Open the Dreamgate champion, etc., I like that that is something that the right people are going to remember, and it's something that years from now when I'm, uh, you know, writing the SB Kento career retrospective that will be in there because it, I think it's a really fun part of his career that he was robbed of this award by Tokyo sports. Yeah. And I mean, it just, when, when it comes down to it, Tokyo sports and the wrestling observer voters, that they, they're going to eat a lot of crow about this. Like I, I I'm not going to get on a Pat McAfee, Dominic Guerrero thing as we're approaching the end of hour two of the show here case. <laughs> I had but... a table or Lincoln park conversation. Look, Mike and I at some point are talking Lincoln park because I have a ton of new Lincoln park takes after spending the weekend re-listening to their first two and a half albums. Oh, oh, oh did you listen to collision course? I have collision course embedded into my dna i was thinking uh <laughs> hybrid theory meteor and then parts of minutes to midnight and then i was like hey, i think i'm good on this one no i will go to my grave defending jay-z and lincoln park's collision course it was one of the first pieces of music that i remember actively loving as a kid because my dad who was more of a jay-z fan than a lincoln park fan he adored that concept then we talk about it constantly now about how good that EP is. I know Collision Course very well and <laughs> listen to it often, but going back and listening to parts of Hyper Theory and Meteora, oh my god, it is so much better than I remember it. it, it it's something that I think that it is time that we all give the uh, uh, retroactive uh, just respect to Lincoln Park and, and knowing that with all these shows got wiped out case. We will have time over the next few weeks to talk about Lincoln park. But as we're approaching the two hour mark, uh, any last big takeaways you have of dead or alive before we come back next week and talk about it when it's in the can, the card is unreal. Even with the state of emergency and the disappointment of, of some big shows getting canceled as of the time we're recording this dead or alive is still scheduled to happen. And I think the show is going to be unreal. And I think given what has happened with the state of emergency, the roster is going to be really dedicated and committed to putting on a killer show. So I'm looking forward to it to a tremendous degree. Yeah, I am incredibly stoked for us. As Case alluded to, there will be a written preview up on Voices of Wrestling before the show, and it will be on the network live. It is a 1600 Japanese Standard Time start. That is 3 a.m. on the East Coast. That is a 
nice midnight on the West Coast. How would you like to start your Wednesday off that way, Case? Like, that is just delightful. I believe that is 8 uh, Greenwich Mean Time. Live English commentary, it will be Jay and Ho-Ho Loon on the call there. But Case, we knew this was going to be a meaty one, but we had to really get into a lot of stuff on the show here. But anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, I, I am very happy that Dead or Alive is coming up. Aichi was pissed that they lost their cage match last year, and I'm very excited for them to get it back this year. Aichi, we heard you were mad. We're not just going to have the cage match. We're going to put two of your hometown guys in it. It's going to yes. be tremendous. I, I think this is going to be a really special show when things are said and done. Yeah, and I think that this is a show that you're, you're going to kick yourself if you don't watch Dead or Alive 2021. I'm going to put that out there as potential, at least for what's announced here, on being one of the best Dragon System shows of all time but that's going to do it for us guys you can follow the podcast at at open voice gate on twitter you can follow me at fujihaya and you can follow case underscore in your case so for case i'm mike we'll be back with you next week review reviewing dead or alive 2021 take care everyone <laughs>